Welcome to Over Our Heads. I'm Colin Rowan, the Director of Communication for Pecan Street. And I'm Rachel Jenkins, Pecan Street's Director of Operations. Rachel, I have a riddle for you. All right, this should be good. What do artificial intelligence, atom colliders, TensorFlow, and Pecan Street all have in common? I listened to the interview, so I know the answer. The answer is they are all things discussed by our guest today, Paul Navratil, who's the Director of Visualization at the Texas Advanced Computing Center. Paul had so much to talk about, we had to split this interview into two parts. Very, very smart guy. Not only a smart guy, but a really nice guy too. Sometimes smart people really want you to know they're smart, but not Paul. I I have to admit, I had to listen to the interview twice to understand what he was talking about. You're not alone on that one. And that's why I'm glad we have Scott for these kind of interviews. Before we send it to Scott and Paul, a quick plug about Pecan Street. Listeners can visit pecanstreet.org slash news for our latest blogs and announcements and pecanstreet.org slash events for our upcoming webinars and events. And that will do it for Rachel and me. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you enjoy part one of our interview with Paul Navratil. If you like what you hear, please rate and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app or visit pecanstreet.org slash podcasts for a full list of episodes. Hi, this is Scott Henson and welcome to Over Our Heads. Today I am talking and very excited to be talking to Paul Navratil from Texas Advanced Computing Center. Uh, about things that are going on behind the scenes that not a lot of folks are uh, aware of. Welcome, Paul. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Scott. Thrilled to be here. Awesome. So, uh, Paul, why don't you uh, uh, describe to folks what it is that you do? Sure. I'm uh, the Director of Visualization at the Texas Advanced Computing Center at uh, the University of Texas campus. Uh, We're an open science research provider for uh, supercomputing and advanced computing resources across the nation and and actually literally around the world. Uh, Basically, uh, uh, we operate in the same level of computing facility as the large Department of Energy labs here in the U.S. and the national supercomputing centers of places like Japan, China, Switzerland. Um, We're the largest academically hosted supercomputing uh, center in the U.S. Uh, we represent about 75% of all cycles in the top 500 list uh, for academic uh, U.S. computing, which is a, a measure of supercomputing strength. Um, and and so we're we're thrilled to be uh, providing literally thousands of projects to tens of thousands of researchers uh, uh, on how to improve our understanding of the world. Everything from uh, hurricanes and tornadoes to the cosmos to uh, better energy usage and and better uh, decision making around uh, uh, science and policy, which is uh, some of what I think we'll be talking about today. Awesome. Um, I would say that's that's all, but wow, that's that's a lot. You guys, you guys do a lot, right? Um, we, we we do. Um, <laughs> and and personally, uh, my group, I, I we I lead the analytics group, uh, primarily with visual analytics, visualization. Um, we do our own research and how to do those things better, uh, both locally in Viz Labs and then remotely from the big machines. Uh, we do consulting to guide our users to best practices or to develop new practices when those aren't sufficient. And then we also do our care and feeding to keep all of the various systems and, and visual uh, components up and running. Awesome. Awesome. 
so yeah, let's uh let's talk a little bit about uh energy and data. You have worked uh on and off with Pecan Street now uh since the beginning of Pecan Street, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's been a, a great journey, and it's been really cool to see both Pecan Street and TAC grow uh, into um, you know the the resources and the, and the capabilities that that we both have today. I mean, working with Pecan Street and the biggest uh, collection of residential energy usage uh, it, it, that I know of in the world um, is such an amazing data resource, and and thrilled to be able to put some of the uh, computing resources and expertise of the of uh, the computing center of TAC uh, to yeah, help you and and your partners, um, you know, do even more with it. Yep, yep, uh, and and we are we are glad to have that assistance. Uh, the data over the years uh, that we've collected has changed a bit. Um, I remember when I started, if somebody asked for uh, Pecan Street's data, you know, some of those earliest days of collections when we started with our initial hundred new houses and hundred old houses, right? If somebody said, Hey, I need all the data, you could just give them a thumb drive, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, now, now you, you need a little bit more, th- a few more thumbs. to. <laughs> to- <laughs> um, but, yeah. but I, I tell you, even, I mean, even in the early days, you know, when we were collecting a uh, uh, home energy usage from the Mueller neighborhood here in, in Austin, having, uh, the minute level sensor readings coming in and then storing that in a way that would be accessible and interactive for researchers to analyze and visualize and, and understand that, oh, you know, it, it's all air conditioning, particularly here in Texas, particularly in the summer. <laughs> and oh, yeah. that, you know, uh, that a bit against conventional wisdom, that west facing solar panels are more aligned with the energy usage curve. And so that while the nominal gain of of energy collected from south-facing panels might be a bit more, it's the west-facing that better aligns with that air conditioning usage and leads to a better offset from the grid. And that's that's really one of the main, you know, aha moments that I remember from those early days of Pecan Street. Yeah. Um, in fact, we I think we're going to have an entire uh, podcast devoted to to uh, topics like that. Uh, we may we may even have one devoted entirely to that. Um, uh, and so at some point for for our our listeners that uh, pay attention and look out for that one. Um, the uh, uh, the data that we used to collect um to sort of nerd out for a second, not like we're not nerding out on this entire thing, but yeah, that, that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, to nerd out even more um, for a second is, uh, you know, when we, when we started collecting, we would, we would get what is known as real power. So this is the power that the utility bills a residential customer for. There are a lot of other metrics. There's harmonic distortion of the current. There's phase angle between the current and voltage and all of these things go to um, uh, making a better understanding. If you're collecting all of this data, you have a far better understanding of sort of the operational capabilities of your distribution grid. It's it's kind of like if I can put it to an analogy and for cars, right? It, if you're collecting real power, the, the analogy for cars, like you're looking at the speedometer. You have no idea what the RPMs of the engine is. You have no idea what the temperature of the engine is, right? 
and and things could be going very well or very badly. And if you're only looking at the speedometer, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea um, uh, if there if things are okay or not, right? And so we've we've in the ten years since we've started, we've actually started collecting some of these other metrics, and we've upped the data rate from one sample per minute to one sample on all of these metrics per second. So now we have houses that generate 10 and a half million data points a day, and we collect about 2.6 billion data points a day. Um, uh, from your view, have we truly entered big data territory when we've done that? Congratulations, Scott. You have entered the era of big data. Your, your certificate should be in the mail shortly. Um, we, uh, it, it, in, in listening to you describe that, it's, it, it was remarkable to me that how many areas of science are really entering into this high velocity regime of data. Uh, this used to be exclusively the era or the domain of uh, large hadron collider, the the the, the uh, atom smashers that would generate uh, huge amounts of data in in a very short amount of time, and that it would have to be filtered immediately because the the data is is ephemeral. You know, it, it's when once the atoms are done smashing, the the data is gone. Um, and so for uh, these type of of uh, data issues that you not only have what to do once you have it all, it's it's the issues of having enough infrastructure in order to just collect it. And so we see uh, innovations such as edge computing, which attempts to distribute some of that collection uh, uh, closer to the points at which the data is collected and then serve that upstream to analysis points. Um, we see that in the growth of distributed database technologies like Hadoop um, and, and those derivative technologies that allow for data to be uh, handled uh, more efficiently across uh, infrastructure like that that we deploy at TAC. And um, it's also uh, the, the growth of artificial intelligence that AI and, and what was known as deep learning is actually not that new a concept. It's just that we now have enough data in order to feed into the network in order to train them effectively. And so having this rich sort sort of data at that level of granularity is really exciting to bring some of these uh, uh, more powerful analytic technologies to bear and uh, enable us to create models of energy usage uh, that are purely driven from the data. In other words, it's just what the AI trains itself or, and, and detects the signal in the data rather than what a human might, air quotes, think is the right thing and, and sometimes uh, is, is missing the, the true signal in, in the data. You know, you, you, you bring up this point. I, um, before uh, COVID, when we could go places... And enjoy, enjoy uh, locations. Oh, those before <laughs> times when we could go um, enjoy uh, conferences at hotels and pay thirty-five dollars for some powdered eggs um, uh, in the morning. Um, uh, when I would go to these conferences, especially for utilities, um, I would see a, a lot of representations of this general attitude that if we have enough data 
AI and ML will basically, machine learning will basically just sort out whatever problem uh, that we are trying to solve. That there's this some sort of magic thing that's going to happen. Um, and and my background is not in AI or machine learning, but it, it's in signal processing for um, data collection. Uh, so I am I am by classic training sort of adjacent to it, and and talk about that for a little bit because that's not true, is it? You can't just sort of turn these data sets over and go, I'm done. You know, uh, if AI was a magic wand, I think we'd all have those teleporting cars and uh, you know, <laughs> the, the jets and space tubes that we were promised, you know, by by 1960s cartoons. Um, the, I'm still uh, waiting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just I just want that, you know, we, we finally got the self-tying sneakers that Michael J. Fox had in back. To <laughs> you know, we're, we're not quite yet to the hoverboard, but um, but that's close as well. The. Um, but yeah, so you're you're absolutely right. It, it, the the AI is only as powerful as the data that's fed to it, and we see that that's causing a, a number of issues, um, specifically in 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 some of the the questions over time. I was just reading an article today about um, about lending practices, and as we are turning artificial intelligence over. If there is a, an inherent bias in the data that we're supplying to the AI, the AI is going to pick up on that. And there's, there isn't a way for the AI to understand what bias is and to protect it from bias or to, uh, to uh, insulate itself from, from bias that might be there. It's going to just pick up whatever signals in the data. And so if there has been a, in the, in the mortgage lending in, in uh, example, if there's been a history of redlining or other practices that discriminate against minority applicants, the AI is just going to see, oh, white applicants get uh, more loans and more frequently are approved than minority applicants. So that's the signal I'm picking up on. It doesn't make the AI good or bad necessarily. It makes us more responsible for the training data that we feed to it. And in the energy case, um, for instance, if there are homes in the, and I don't know this for a fact, so but just, just to make things up, if there are homes in an energy survey that are uh, predominantly in wealthy areas, you know, maybe they're the areas that can afford uh, solar, they can afford um, uh, they're, they're more connected to, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the types of, of, of sensors or something that, that can instrument their homes. Um, maybe, you know, there's a higher response rate from those homes, um, that, that can skew the view of the energy usage model. Um, but that's not, that doesn't, mean that the AI itself is biased. It just means that it's responding to the training data that it has. And so uh, there is a need to ensure that we are creating training data sets that are representative of the total population that is being studied and and not necessarily just picked um, from 
you know, a, a sense of respondents. You know, again, in the era of, of, of that we're operating with an election in fewer than 20 days at, at the time of taping, uh, a, politi- a politician, uh, a political uh, polling agencies are dealing with this as well. The, you know, are we yeah. undercounting uh, uh, folks that are that maybe don't have a college degree? Are we undercounting folks that maybe only have a cell phone and don't have a landline? Um, are we overcounting folks that for an internet poll that are just sitting, you know, on Twitter and, and clicking for their preferred candidate all day? <laughs> so, um, so, And that will do it for part one of our interview with Paul Navratil. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please rate and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app or visit pecanstreet.org slash podcast for a full list of episodes. I'm Rachel Jenkins. And I'm Colin Rowan. Thank you for joining us.